0: For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper.
1: Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? Today is National Tooth Fairy Day. Uh, When I think of the tooth fairy, I always think of Imogene Coca uh, because of her uh, two-episode run on Bewitched, uh, which I remember in the early 70s when that show aired. You see, I'm a product of 1970s television. But tonight we are celebrating one of my favorite entertainers. Uh, I... I fell in love with him, and yes, I fell in love when I first saw him on stage. Well, I have seen him on stage on so many productions. Uh, Sweeney Todd, Carousel, Breakfast at Tiffany's. He is now on Broadway in The Music Man, but he's off tonight and he's here with us. Uh, A few years ago, before COVID, uh, I was doing these shows as a live series, uh, and we started out at the Triad in New York. And one of our shows, they were all built around a certain theme. And one of our earlier shows was built around uh, December ninth, I think it was. And it was the anniversary of the very first uh, showing of the Peanuts Christmas special. And I had heard that Eddie had done a a tribute to that. And I reached out to Eddie, and he said yes. And not only did he say yes then, but he said yes to tonight. And here he is. And there he is. And Eddie, I am so thrilled that you are here tonight. I have been wanting to get you here for a long, long time. But Uh you are one of the busiest men in show business.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Right now, yes, there were two, there, were, there was a year and a half of the pandemic where it was a little touch and go for all of us, but that was a little scary. But I have to say two things. First, I'm wearing my, okay, it's yet Ukraine. I'm wearing my Ukraine, because I am Ukrainian um, American, and I just have to do that. Also, okay, so Tooth Fairy Imaging Coca, do you remember how she got her dress clean when they spilled stuff on it?
1: Uh, now I do remember. Was it? Uh, I am thinking that was it tomato
0: sauce. Yeah, I, I yes, it was something horrible or wine or something, red wine or something. But, well, she
1: discovered uh, through uh, that she had a penchant for uh, for booze.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, but but the thing that comes to my mind that wonderful Imogene Coca saying. You have to fly just so it touches the milkweed very gently and it takes it away. Like, and I just thought that image of flying over milkweed was fascinating. Yeah, we both grew up in 70s television, Richard. <laughs> but, you know, uh, last
1: night uh, you and I did a little test run to make sure that yeah. this would work tonight. Um, I'm going to actually bring this up. So we uh, uh, there we are. Um, So we uh, did a little test run last night, and I mentioned to you that today was National Tooth Fairy Day. And you said to me that you have been the tooth fairy once yes, twice, uh, because you are a dad. Yeah. Um, And God bless you. Um, I don't know. I mean, you and your husband have been together 30 years.
0: Yeah. November 20th. It'll be 30 years.
1: My husband and I have been together 32 years. God, um, that's... I don't know how you were able to do it, uh, raising a child, having the career that you've had, which was, has been incredible, which we're going to talk about in a moment, and doing all those things. Um, how were you able to balance it all?
0: Okay, so the first thing that, that I have to, <clears throat> have to give credit to is because I know some solo parent people who have have chosen to do it solo and and uh, daycare and and nannies are a huge 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 part. However, when I when we decided to adopt, my husband said, selflessly, I will I will put my um, teaching on hold and I will be the full time stay at home dad for a whole bunch of years. So all the formative years. Um, he was the steady presence, and uh, I, I got the, we, we we went everywhere together because I did a lot of in in those early days right after Susical. It was a year after Susical. That we adopted, Rosie O'Donnell facilitated the adoption, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of regional theater. We were in Denver and Pittsburgh and and all all over. And she traveled with us everywhere. Her first steps were her first steps were in St. Louis when I was doing St. Louis Rep show. So, yeah, and twice Denver, twice Los Angeles, twice. Um, I guess that was the last time Los Angeles with the uh drowsy chaperone pre-Broadway tryout. She was four and a half, five years old. Did you so, like being on the road? Or do you like being on the road? Do I? Yes. I I don't like being on the road by myself. Okay. But I like I like being if my family can come. Um now now since school started, since she's been in school, like once once elementary school and and all that kind of stuff started, then I did have to go on the road a couple of times. And um, I always come back looking better than when I leave because I go on a strict regimen. One time I did, what was I thinking? I did raw vegan for six days a week and allowed myself one day of cheating. And uh, it worked out great. But ultimately, when I came back, it was unsustainable. If you know what I mean. Yes. Yes. How do you how do you force raw veganism every meal on your family? That's just not good unless they're into it. And she was not. <laughs> um, so well, I'm these vegan gonna- gazpachos and sprouted grain almond butter sandwiches. Can you eat anyway?
1: Well, I want to talk about your evolution. I mean, uh I asked for a photograph of you as a child <laughs> because I yeah, and I I've got some great photographs. First of all, uh let's look at look at some of these. These are just incredible. First of all, yeah. um but because you had this photograph.
0: That's Penny, by the way. Uh Penny? Penny, that was her name, Penny.
1: Uh your horse. Yes. Well, see, you weren't alone. I think that you and I could have galloped off into the sunset because I pulled my photograph of me on
0: my horse. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> Look how there daring. I am looking right
1: into the camera. And, uh, and then I love this photo. Well,
0: um, I mean, that should be the, that's, that's the tip off there.
1: Right, long before you did "Singing in the Rain," Mary you Poppins. were
0: you were uh, prepping for that
1: long before that happened.
0: Oh no, uh, no, no! It wasn't "Singing in the Rain." That was "Mary Poppins." Mary Poppins, definitely Mary Poppins. I Great. wanted to That's... be Mary Poppins and fly, and if that wasn't a tip off that I was gay, I don't know what <laughs> was. But there you go. Uh, oh, but can, you, can you thirty seconds? Hold on. I forgot. when I was like five with Mary Poppins. And then when I was nine and 10, they re-released the film and I decided to make a paper mache parrot head umbrella. Wow. And I've kept it all these years. This is like 25, 26. Eddie, we
1: should oh. auction that off for Broadway characters. No, Tech. no, <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh my That's God, amazing. I love it. But then this, look, I mean, Eddie, how could, you know, it's a wonder that you were not kidnapped. Because <laughs> that is the most yeah. adorable photograph right there. But yes. the photograph that I asked for uh, and uh, was you at five years old yeah. And I love this photo right here. I mean, yeah. that that says it all. The poise, everything is there. Tell us about this little boy.
0: Um, you know, my mom dressed me. And she I was uh I never wore shoe I never wore sneakers until I finally one day um only in the summer was I allowed to wear sneakers. Mm-hmm. Um and I said we we need to do that. Uh well, what else? this little boy, he was, he tried to be a very, very, very good little boy, very, very good little boy. Um, big eyes, I can see my big eyes, and I still have the, the, that nose and those ears. So that's kind of neat. But the little tie, the little coat, and we and I still have it's in the cellar right now, but I still have that leather pleather chair. It is a it's naga hide, and it is a maroon color. Just so you know
1: now you were born in Washington, D.C. Am I correct?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But your family moved not too long after that. Am I correct about that as well?
0: Oh, Richard, you're opening up such a huge can of worms. (laughs) No, should I stop? (laughs) No, no, it's fine. It's 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 known now. my biological mother gave birth to me in Washington, D.C. My mom and dad lived in Shimokin, Pennsylvania. Funnily enough, my biological mother also grew up in Shimokin, Pennsylvania because my biological mother, wrap your head around this, was my mom's youngest sister. Ah, yes. So... Uh, and my mom had uh, endometriosis and a complete hysterectomy, so they couldn't have it. So when this Ukrainian Catholic single woman found herself with me, um, it seemed only natural that, that I was adopted into the family. And Andy figured it out. My husband figured it out uh, through a long, complicated process, but his, his brain just works in, in wonderful mystery ways. And, um, but he, was
1: everybody in the family,
0: I mean, with, I mean, your aunt, I mean, well, your child, my aunt. you know, yeah, I don't want to get, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings who are adopted, but my mom, my mama. My, so who's my real mom? My real mom is the, is the woman who dried my tears. Uh, right. Who, who, exactly. Kiss me good night. Um, my my biological mom was my aunt you know what i mean
1: absolutely i know it's, exactly it's what you heart,
0: mean it's a heart it's a heart thing uh, and an emotion thing and, and and there's no love lost between either i'm i'm so grateful that i exist on the planet i'm so happy um, well we are too thanks, thanks. So, no, no, go questions. ahead I, I interrupted you what was your question no but did you grow, I, I was going to ask
1: if everybody was in that family sphere
0: you mean, did everybody know? Yes. No. No, it was a secret between the three sisters, the oldest sister, my mom, and my my biological mom, my aunt. Um, even the husbands didn't know. My dad knew, of course. Um, but they didn't tell my grandmother because it would have killed her, they said. It would have killed her. So they didn't know until years and years and years and years later when I was an adult and in my 30s when people started talking within the family. Um, One by one, the sisters died. Um, And my mom was the last surviving member of her family. Um, And she, well, of of the sisters. And, And they, when my biological mom died, she told her oldest brother, Eddie's my son. And then they kept it a secret for 15 years until my mom died. And then the two brothers talked and the one revealed it to the other. This is a boring story. Um, and then and then finally, when Andy brought it up, when I was 41, so that's 20 years ago now, when I was 41, I finally called my uncle Adam and asked him, is it possible that Teta Meki, which Teta is aunt in Ukrainian, Meki is short for Merka, which is Mary Marisha, um, is it possible that Tetameki could have been my biological mom? And there was, there was silence. And and I literally, I literally said, "Could you, could you hold on for one second? Just one second. I'll be right back." Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god. Hello. <laughs> and it, was, it was literally, it was literally like, I, 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 I. And then my cousins were like, "We always thought you looked like us. We always did." So. Yeah. I don't know who the, I don't know who the biological father was. However, I did do ancestry.com and there's some cousins out there who I have no idea the family name, the anything, and we're talking right now, but, uh, anybody who would have known that is like long gone. So. Well, what
1: an, what an amazing story, but after the show, stick around because I'll share something with you. Okay. Um, but, uh, so to get back to my original question, and that's why, you know, I when I do my research, I pick up these
0: things. Did you grow up in Washington, D.C.? No. Six weeks. Then they brought me home. Grew okay. up in Shamokin, Pennsylvania, which was like Hannibal, Missouri, only mm-hmm. instead of a river, it was a coal mining town. Okay. <sighs> so no, growing up... No real opportunity for acting except for school, the school things. Uh, it did have music, and that's where I got my outlet. Wow. So
1: when did you first discover the music? Uh, was it in school that you discovered the music? And did you grow up in a household that listened to music? Uh, I mean, you and I both have already acknowledged the fact that we grew up We're the same age. Uh, And uh, I also, I was obsessed with variety shows. That was the show business that I wanted to be a part of.
0: Okay. So first off, you know, it was Camelot. It was, we grew up when the Kennedys and the uh, the whole idea was to better yourself through culture and things like that. And my parents embraced that. My dad um, sang in a (laughs) <laughs> sang in a barbershop chorus. He was a bass. My mom sang uh, in the choir growing up at the Ukrainian church. so uh, music was everywhere and uh, cow Dean Martin and the Gold diggers, um Caesar's Palace, all mm. those variety shows on TV always constantly and then they and then they decided that whatever happened with my life, I was going to know how to play an instrument. So uh, they started me on piano in kindergarten. And then I started the clarinet in fourth grade, the cello in seventh grade, and the trumpet in ninth grade. And my junior year, I got cast as Harold Hill (laughs) in The Music Man. And I, that was it. The, The next day I started looking for colleges for musical theater programs. And I, I ended up at Boston Conservatory. But I, had, but I had all that music in me. So when everybody else was playing their cassette, trying to learn music, I just, I just took my music home and played it on the piano for myself and, and learned it. It's been an enormous gift. Did that answer your question?
1: Yeah, it does answer my question. Franklin Jella in his book, he talks about that moment of stepping from the shadows into the light. Do you remember that first time that you stepped out into a, uh, an audio uh, in, on a stage in front of an audience, and what that experience was like for you, and how that transformed the path that you were now on?
0: I remember the very first moment that I had my Broadway, I remember that moment emblazoned. The I, uh, See, here's the thing. I always had an audience because I would stage things in elementary school. We would do episodes of The Flying Nun Of course, I was Sister Betrille. We would would do episodes. (laughs) You always thought you could fly. There you go. (laughs) We would do episodes of The Wizard of Oz. Of course, I had to play Dorothy. But I would tell everybody, drawing the yellow brick road on our back sidewalk with chalk. I would, I would, I would. So I was always doing something in front of people. Um, And yes, I did stuff in front of an audience. I guess the very, very first time that I was in front of a real audience with lines was, um, was a middle school in a production of, oh my gosh, it was a Broadway play called Visit to a Small Planet, starring Cyril Richard yes. as an alien.
1: Yes, I, 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 uh, we, I did that play in school.
0: Yes, so <laughs> I was, whatever his name was, and we had a live cat and everything, and we took our curtain call together, the cat and I, and, and of course, everybody is like, they were all applauding for the cat, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, of course. But I got Singing in the Rain on Broadway. I, 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 I got to replace in 1986 um, someone on in the Broadway show. And they said, before you go on, we want you to experience Broadway, so we're going to have you ride the trolley um, a week before you're officially on. Um, you can wear your own pants, your jeans, we'll put you in a tuxedo because that's all the audience is going to see. And you'll just ride the trolley on and off. And I, I I, know this sounds corny, Richard, but I remember sitting in the dark because it was at the Gershwin Theater, so it's huge I wings. saw that production, yes. Yeah, I remember sitting in the dark and the trolley started to move. And I swear, the second it broke the wing, and it was like light flooded the, the car, and the orchestra, it was like the volume just went boom, all at once, and all of a sudden, Don Korea is dancing on top of the tree, and we just went across, we just went across, and I, I I will never forget that powerful moment. And evidently people have told me that I, I couldn't stop smiling. I couldn't stop smiling, and all I kept saying was, I was on Broadway, I was on Broadway. I was Broadway. so yeah, that's emblazoned in my head. It's great. So
1: when you made the decision that you were going to go into this world of the business, uh, and you started pursuing Uh, schools where you could study. Um, Were you just randomly choosing or did you have a plan as to where you wanted to go?
0: I knew I wanted to go to a theater that specialized in musical theater and a conservatory would have been the best thing because I I had no... Like I see the kids on Broadway today in our show and they they've been trained since four or five years old in Mm. the business. Like they go to their, there was nothing like that. So I knew that I had to go to a school that was going to immerse me 24 seven in this world so that I could catch up with, you know what I mean? I could catch up for everything that I missed, not having to worry about math or, or science or anything, just do a conservatory program and um, the the so I could I could go to Carnegie Mellon I could go to Boston Conservatory I could go to North Carolina School of the Arts at that point I not I didn't know from Cincinnati Conservatory at that point, um, but the high school marching band had gone to <laughs> had gone to um, an apple blossom festival in New Hampshire and played there, and we took a bus trip. And on the way, we stopped at Faneuil Hall in Boston. And I was, um, I was a junior. And I remember driving through the city past this enormously beautiful green hill, which I later found out was the Boston Commons and the, the Public Gardens, and all the college students studying on the hill. And I said, that, that's what I want to do. Some people want to study on the beach. I want to study on that grass. And so I just picked Boston. So it was kind of planned with the conservatory mm-hmm. thing, and and the but the place was just because I saw people studying. When I got to the conservatory, we were nowhere near the Boston Commons. Um, we had <laughs> we had an alleyway that connected the two buildings that had rats in it. I mean, it was it was. You know, gross. But it, it was didn't not matter. the
1: glamour that you thought it was going to be.
0: No, but I was there, so that that worked. And I so, learned how to sing.
1: So, you, um but I mean, you've got this magnificent voice. Um right. And when you went through puberty, did you have any issues in terms of your voice changing?
0: I didn't. I didn't. I didn't like everybody else would like be cracking. I I never did. I don't know why. I mean, well, obviously, because I was destined to be a tenor, almost an alto. But, I mean, you can hear it right now. I mean, I can go down mm-hmm. if I want to, but that's really not very comfortable.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I can't really sustain it. So I'm here. I live here. And uh, no, I didn't, I didn't have any problem. As a matter of fact, I would, I would say, please let me sing the top, because it's relaxing to sing it up there. Um, also, I was, I was imitating Deborah Carr and, and um, Julie Andrews and all those people back then. And I don't, I don't know scientifically whether I strengthened that part of my voice because I was always imitating women. No, I don't think I did because there are boy sopranos who mm-hmm. once their voice changes, it doesn't matter how much they sing, it goes down. I just think God decided that I was going to be a, a high tenor.
1: But so you, you, you went there, you finished school and were you, did you have performing opportunities there or, uh, and so you did do a a lot of theater or a little theater. Where did you fit into the spectrum of doing theater? Our school,
0: our school didn't believe, and I hope they still don't believe in the fact that you need to be trained before you get on a stage. Our school was much more in, in the, the vaudeville thought of get out there. That's the best way to learn. You make mistakes, you fall on your butt. Good, good, make mistakes. Please make mistakes.
1: I I, I totally agree with that. So I'm glad to hear um,
0: that. We did Anyone Can Whistle my freshman year and I was in the chorus and the guy playing Controller Shub, which was Gabriel Dell in the original. I got brownie points with Steven Sondheim on that one, um, knowing that. Um, Gabriel, uh, the guy playing, um, control got viral pneumonia and was out and I, they gave me, they gave it to me and I, um, they were so thankful and I, I worked so hard and they were, I guess they were impressed that I did it, that they said, even if he gets better, we're giving you a night. We did, we did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they gave me Thursday night. So I did it. Um, and then I was in all the other musicals, all the other plays. Then I did, I did the Little Foxes. I was Leo in the Little Foxes uh, on Beacon Hill at um, at uh, the Professional Theater on Beacon Hill, and it was great. I didn't have to be Equity though, um, mm-hmm. so I got to yeah, I got to, I, I, I jumped right in. And, and was then New York, to... and
1: was New York always the ultimate goal for you to get? You to... know, when
0: I was a kid, it was going to be film and television. I mean, that's all I knew. So that's what I wanted.
1: Um, same and, same then, thing.
0: and then when, you, when you're in school, you very, you very soon decide where you're going to go, whether you're going to go to L.A. or whether you're going to go to, if you want, I, I always say this, I don't know if it's still the case, but back in 1979, 83, uh, if you wanted to do, let me do this, drama. She wanted to do drama. You went to Chicago because Chicago had Steppenwolf and all those places. Right,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: um, which was now, so did great. you come to New York in 79? No, 83. I graduated. Okay. I came in eighty
1: five. So I came to New York in nineteen seventy-nine. It was a very different world, obviously. Yeah. So how did the move to New York happen for you?
0: I was doing um, Three Summers on Cape Cod uh, at the Christopher Ryder House, which no longer exists. They are now condominiums, but they were one-hour reviews, two, two one-hour reviews, 8.30 and 10.30, every single night from uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day, no day off. And they were directed by our musical director from the conservatory, but they were directed by Bic, I don't know if you remember Bic Goss, Oh, of course. Yes. Big Boss did three of them, um, and uh, Rudy Toronto, who was Sugar Baby's fame, mm-hmm. his husband was Bill, um, I can't remember, Bill, the guy who created the gypsy robe. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but he created the gypsy robe, putting the flower on Ethel Merman's gown. Yes, um, yes. And then later became director of Barnum & Bailey Circus. Bill, I can't remember his last name. Anyway, so they would come from New York and and Fred Mann, the Fosse dancer, and um, Bob Tucker, who choreographed the original Shenandoah on on Broadway. Um, And Bick Goss said, I'm doing a review in New York City in 1985 in the fall. Would you be in it? And I'm like, yeah. So it was a place called the Silver Lining on Forty. Oh my god! <laughs> and I, I was in a show called Jimmy Reed's Ups and Downs, and I did that, and, and then I, then I got the Muni with the Juliet Prowse and Larry Kurt, um, and I got my equity card, and. So let me, tell
1: you know. Some people may not know about the Muni. Uh, the Muni, of course huge outdoor theater.
0: 13,000? Is
1: it 13? Uh, yes, I think it's even larger. I, you yeah. know, I, I mean, it's huge. Um, the experience, you know, and again, you and I talked about this, Danny Burston and you get your equity cards together um, and you, that experience of I know what that feeling is like to get your equity card. For you, what was that moment like for you when you Sign that contract and you've got your equity card. You are now a member of the actors. I, Act.
0: asked, I asked a couple of times. Am I you mean you mean wait a minute? You mean because we had just got done auditioning for our second day. I said, wait, you mean <laughs> you mean I'm women I'm getting my equity card now? I mean I'm in the union now? And they're like, when you sign? I'm like, okay. And then it's I it's like that
1: moment from Funny Girl where she says, but
0: I haven't suffered enough. I, I, know, <laughs> I know, I know. I immediately called my dad and said, on the payphone, remember those? On the payphone, uh, and and made a credit card call or called collect and said, I'm I'm getting my union card now. Um, can, can will you pay for this? Please, will you pay for this? And he's like, Are they gonna send me something? And I said, Yes, it's gonna come in the mail next week. And he's like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Congratulations. So, yeah, it was great. Well, once you get your equity card, um, I mean, there was no other place for me to go in my mind at that point. And I, I came to New York. And the person who I did Jimmy Reed's ups and downs for, the person, Jimmy Reed, said, you can stay at my house until you get an apartment. And it was right above Bagel Nosh <laughs> On seventy second, there was a red apple across the street, and McDonald's across the street, and I know and, exactly
1: where you lived.
0: I and, know and later, I found out the Catholic church in the middle of the block was the Catholic church that George M. Cohan went when he lived in New York. So yeah, and then a couple months later, I found I found um, an apartment. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. I, right, yeah. Those Do you know are early day- I'm sorry. Do you know go the book Mark Kelprin Winter's Tale? Yes, yes. I was reading that book the day that I found the new apartment. And I remember it because they talked about the ceiling of Grand Central Terminal with all the um astrological signs that lit up. And anyway, I just I just remember that. So Okay, I'll be quiet.
1: There's No, no, please don't be quiet. I, lo- I, I love these stories. I, I, I love, you know, for me, there was something magical about those early days in New York. When you, you've got the whole future ahead of you, you're making friends, you're out there learning the ropes. Did you know, I mean, you, you've got your equity card, you're now in New York, you've already done this review in New York. But did you know the ropes of what to do in New York, or how were no. you learning as you no. were going along?
0: Learned every day. And the way I learned was I went to every audition, even the ones that I was not right for. I I went, it was like I threw mud on the wall and thought and saw what stuck. And and I went, I went to at least three a day for the longest time. We used to go and sign up at Equity. And then go down and eat breakfast at the McDonald's on 46, you know, and then, and then wait for our time and then go back up and audition. And I remember going into this one audition and I got typed out immediately. And I mean, they brought me in and I got typed out immediately. And I was like, wow, no. And I walked out in a daze and my friend. Uh, who I had just met was there, and he said, Do you, you, what happened, get typed out? I said, yeah, did you get typed out? He's like, I'm not going in for the chorus. I'm going in for the equity principal audition. And I went, what's what's that? I was like, they have to have a separate call. You went in for the chorus. Here's another equity principal audition. I went, I'm, I'm going to go in for that. Maybe I won't get typed. So I waited and I walked in and they looked at me and they said, we, we typed you out. I said, I know, but you haven't heard me sing. I mean, I, mean I, I, just, I just wanna sing for you. I came on the bus from Pennsylvania and I really need to, now that was technically not a lie because I did live in Pennsylvania <laughs> and I did get to New York by bus, just not that day for that audition. And so they said, sing. And I sang, and I did, I did a good job. I can't remember what I did. And then the guy went, come here. And I walked up and he said, there is nothing for you in this show. And I said, okay, but I'm really, really glad I got a chance to sing for you. And they said, you know what? We're glad you did too. Thanks, and I went goodbye. Two years later, I get a call from my agent saying, "Do you remember when you crashed an audition two years ago and there was no part for you? Well, they just called and they said they actually have a part. Will you do this reading?" So that's what happened. I mean, you just you just do it, and if you're nice about it, if you're not a sorry, if you're not a dick, yes, about it, you're yeah. not a mean thing, and you go in honestly. it it, it can come back and help you immensely. I mean, that's how night music happened for me. And that's how I met Sondheim. And that's how I met Susan Shulman. And that's how I got Sweeney Todd. And then that's how I got Assassins. It just rolled out.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, someone posted today on uh, Facebook about how frustrating it is. And it is frustrating that now everybody wants these reels put together um and uh they're not even looking at resumes anymore it's like they want to see these reels and you know and there are some people who are really good at auditioning and then there are others that are not great at audition i know some of the greatest actors and actresses throughout history um who are not great auditioners. And then now with these reels of looking into the camera, looking at the lights, getting the right lighting and everything and presenting it. And if someone puts in a tape and that first couple of seconds doesn't grab them and then they stop looking at it, um, it's defeated the purpose of the actor being given a chance. And I also came just on the heels of that time in New York where when I auditioned for a show, I auditioned on the stage of a Broadway theater. Oh. I mean, that was thrilling.
0: Yeah. I got to do that for, what was the one with Patrick Cassidy and Ellie Greenwich? What was that called? It was the Ellie Greenwich Review. Dinah Manoff was in it. Do you remember I we auditioned don't... on the stage of the Ambassador Theater. I can't okay. remember Somebody the name. Somebody will tell
1: of it. us what it is. But it, right. I, it, 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 but it's a, it's a different world out there. And then you've got, you know, anyone who is on either side of the table. Obviously, everyone wants a show to succeed. Yeah, they want the right person to walk through that door or to give them that tape or something, but. Just and Melissa Manchester said to me on this show that even at this point in her life, she feels that she's still auditioning uh, because there are people who they're not looking at the whole history anymore.
0: No, they're not. No, Rita Moreno said that to me. She said, does anybody have respect for the work? That was what that was the year that I was doing. Oh, wait a minute. Leader of the pack. That was an name. Leader of the
1: pack. Okay.
0: Yeah. And you know who else let you audition on the stage? Hal Prince. I auditioned for Frank and Showboat on the stage. So that was neat. Um, I was doing um, Rainbow and Stars. What a great place that was. Um... And we were doing the Learner and Low review, and Rita Moreno came and saw it. And I told her how much it was, how much I admired her, and 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 quoted all this stuff. And she said, "I'm I'm so happy that you know my work and you know what I've been through." And I said, "Yeah, King and I, the movie, Singing in the Rain." And she went, "I I all people should know this stuff, but they don't." <laughs> so I was like, "Oh well."
1: And but it's you work. know it's true, and if you've seen the documentary, which is amazing with, I mean, with what she's been through and the struggles and I've done over 500 of these. So, you know, and and the stories that I hear over and over and over again is no matter what level uh, any of the artists have been on or the trajectory, it's still having to prove yourself uh, in this business. Uh, And uh, does it get any easier for you as time goes on or do you feel that you, I mean, you obviously have a gravitas in the business. You're now known in the business. People know who you are. You've got an impressive resume. Does it get easier for you?
0: Well, easier in what way? I mean, it certainly, certainly it's all all the inner workings of rehearsals and, and schedules and things like that are, like I can do it in my sleep, falling off a log now. Um, Even going in for an audition, but as far as the easier, it it doesn't get easier when the ego becomes the forefront and you say, why do I have to audition? Don't they know what I've done? How (laughs) do I have to do a movement call? Call Susan Stroman, call Warren (laughs) Carlyle. What?" what I've done. But you can't do that because because some of the new crop of people don't know me at all. And and I had the one person, I said to my agent the one time, do I really have to go in and sing again? How many cast albums are there? Can't they just play something? And they're like, well, you're 61 now. Maybe you don't have your voice. They wanna hear if you can still hit those notes. I'm like, I'll go in, I'll let them know I can hit those notes. So it's it it you're up against that. I guess it's just something you unless you're like Hugh or Sutton, who I'm working with now. I
1: And if anyone asks Hugh Who or Sutton who <laughs> turn the lights out.
0: And Foster. Um, uh, yes. I, I, I'm I'm not I'm not there. I don't know if I'll ever be there at that point, but
1: Well Eddie, you are in
0: my mind. Thanks. Yeah, yes. it, it, gets, it, it it. does get easier, and it does not get easier when your ego gets into play. So I just kind of tamed the ego. Well, to you
1: tamed know, the Judy star. Garland said that the more you have under your belt, the more difficult it becomes because everyone expects you to top what you've done before.
0: Oh, yeah. That's the, the Meryl Streep line. She's got bigger hoops to jump through, right? Yes. Or somebody said
1: it. Well, they both, and you know, and yeah. they both know of which they talk. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you, uh, and then we're going to do some wind down questions. Um, yeah. As as time has gone on, uh, the business obviously has evolved, uh, yeah. and we all have. Uh, what are the changes that have taken place in the business uh, over the course of your career that you truly have embraced? And what are the things that you really miss that were in place when you first began?
0: Uh, well, social media is is a hard thing for me. Uh, I, I just, I just, I, it doesn't come easy. Um, and, and and you know, you know what it was like last night when we did the trial run for this. And I was like, what is cutting and pasting? <laughs> what is copy paste? I mean, I got it, and thank you, Richard. Thank you for helping me. in. Negotiating, my husband helps me as much as he can, but it's not easy. I like to go in the room. I miss, but the pandemic then changed that. We were going in the room all the time, constantly. Um, Now it's not the same. I mean, I got Music Man by sending in a self tape of me singing Sincere, and then, then I then I went in the room and got matched up with people. Um, I miss. I miss. You know, there's so much that I think about that I, I I get nostalgic for, and then I think at least I had that. I'm not giving you any specifics now because it's all just nebulous in my head. Um, the new kids, when I do master classes, the new kids will say, "How do I, how do I get an agent? How do I?" Do? I don't know what to tell them nowadays. We used to do showcases back then. All the agents came to the showcases. All the agents came to the off, 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 off Broadway things. You could call them. You could write to them. You could send your resume photo in. It, it's, it was just worked out differently. Just simply because we did, I mean, Talent Exchange was an answering service.
1: Oh, my God. I worked for the Green Room Answering Service. And I will, yes. say, I will say that when I first got to New York, I went from showcase to showcase to showcase. I burned out actually. Yeah. I, I I wasn't getting paid anything, but the experience of the resume, I did so many showcases with Chaz Pominteri. Oh my <laughs> no, we did we did Taming of the Shrew together. We did a musical together called The King's Men. We were doing so many shows together and so many people that I've worked with. And uh, but I was working all the time and then years later um you would pay agents to see you do go in and do a monologue yeah and it was it was a very different you know feel for me so we're going to do some wind down questions i do for the fun of this and um our giveaway uh today i'm going to give away a richard skipper celebrates mug and if Ah. you would like i will send you one thank you get one i'll give you one for doing the show tonight Uh, But I want to ask you, our word of the day is influence. I want to ask, who are the people who have had the biggest influence on you in your career?
0: James Cagney. Susan Shulman. um, Hal Prince. And Steve, who let me call him Steve, who I kept calling him Mr. Sondheim at the opening night party of... Teeny Todd, Sweeney Todd. And he said, don't, don't be ridiculous. Just call me Steve. And I, right said, I said, okay, Steve. And he said, okay, Eddie. <laughs> so those people, but you know, it goes, you, you can't, you just can't go just that. Then you say, then my, my, my I, I would never be where I am today without my husband, Andy, or my daughter, Alex. And then you have to go back and you have to say, well, when did the love of this start? And who are the people who believed in you in Shemokin, Pennsylvania, so that you didn't give it up? And, and you know, the, the music teachers the, the, and my mom and dad, they, they looked at me and they said, we don't know what the heck you're talking about. We don't know anything about this, but we will support you. But we cannot help you at all because we don't know anything about this
1: you were very fortunate because my parents it was the complete opposite they oh. didn't understand anything about it but they never gave the support because I'm sorry. Was, and i well i don't i don't have any blame for it it was just completely I, I could have been speaking ukrainian yeah they they would it was just something that was out of their realm they could not uh, understand it it was not something that they could uh, you know place anything on um, so uh, the flip side of that You you teach master classes What type of an influence Do you think that you're making On young artists? I'm, tell,
0: I'm told I'm kind I'm told I'm positive and kind And um, And in no way sh- And honest Positive, kind, and honest Are the three words that I Get um, Mostly positive though they, they tell me that they feel like they've been through a pep talk when I finish, finish. So I think that's, I think that's good. And I think that makes up for, and plus I give some, I think I give some, uh, some real advice on, on the ins and outs and the realities of being in this business. I mean, I'm not saying that it's all just intellectual stuff. It's, it's, it's real good stuff. Um. So yeah, so that's, Yeah. I think, I think maybe if I have any influence on that, I think that's what it is. It's that's the positive great. aspect. That's great. And I stress that you do not have to, I'll use this term again, you do not have to be a dick in this business. The, those days of the tantrum throwing bull crap, it just doesn't help anybody. It just doesn't help. Well,
1: that's going to lead me to my next question. What do your fans mean to you?
0: Well, you know, you would, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be here if you didn't have those people paying to see you and coming to see you. Several. Times. I have, I have some fans who tell me that they know me. I get letters. I, I, that's a lovely thing. I don't have near the amount that other people do, but but I I try to I try to uh, write to them. I try to. Do like sign autographs. I I don't see any reason not to sign. to mm-hmm. Take a second to sign an autograph. It just no problem. Sometimes when I when I leave the theater, I will be running for a train, so I do have not have any time, and I will I will wave and go hello. Um, but uh, it's funny unless you nowadays with us being required to wear our masks for that that time. Unless you pull the mask down, many times they have no idea who you are. Um, That doesn't mean you don't adore them. I have the utmost respect for fans and I don't understand people who don't. I don't understand people who don't have patience.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: And I see how Sutton and Hugh are, so I have no right to not to be.
1: Great. Uh, Favorite movie uh, that you could watch over and over and over again?
0: What's up, Doc?
1: You and me both. And I had Austin Pendleton on the show not too long ago. Yes, just love him. I am Uh, not a Eunice Burns. I am the Eunice Burns. (laughs) Do you know the meaning of the word impropriety? impropriety?
0: Propriety? (laughs) Noun. C, etiquette. Yes. Love it.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, that's one.
0: This is going to be
1: what is the greatest joy? Of performing Sondheim for you.
0: Oh, you, every I mean, song is a scene. Every song is a beginning, middle, and end, like, like nobody's business. Um, you get you get you get satisfied in every way when I when I do that. I mean, I got to do Patter in as Toby, and, and, and you would do it, and then all of a sudden. When you least expect it, these incredible melodies would come out. Let's not even talk about not while I'm around being an incredible melody, but in the Worst Pies, in not Worst Pies in London, in um the opening of the second act, God That's Good, you have him going, ladies and gentlemen, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then out of everything, you have this. Is that a pie fit for a king, a wondrous sweet and most delectable thing that you have that just soaring above? Yeah, it, it's thrilling. That's without a doubt. I didn't even have to think about that one.
1: Wow. Amazing. And Steve. Wow. Yeah. God bless you. Um, outside of the business, mm-hmm. how do you spend your time?
0: <laughs> Sleep. No, Um, I like, I like my naps every day. Um, I like to read, 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 read. And I love doing crossword puzzles and any kind of puzzle like that. I just adore it. I would love to say that I love to garden, but I stink at it. Um, and we have a lawn. I, um, I, I've, I've mowed the lawn quite a bit this year, not as much as I should. Um, and I like to cook and, uh, and we have a dog and uh, I like to be a dad. I, I'm not, I'm not so, I'm still a dad, of course, cause I'll never not be a dad, but I'm not as hands-on dad because she's 20 and in college now. So it's not as much as it used to be. You know, we had a ritual every Sunday night and Monday night. I would put her to bed and I'd sing and I'd sing a whole bunch. So she knew, she knew it takes a moment from hello, Dolly. He, Long before, and she finally saw the movie, and she's like, That's the song you used to sing to me. Uh, I said, yes,
1: wow, that's so great. Those are the
0: things I like to do.
1: Um, who is the most amazing person that you met through this business that is not in the business? Julia Child,
0: wow, that Boom. came fast. Boom, she is also the one celebrity. I ever met that I got completely tongue tied with and, and, and Andy, Andy said, I've never seen you in front of, in front of stars, in front of movie stars. I've never seen you any opening night. I'd never seen you as tongue tied as it, I did when, when you met Julia Child at the fifth Avenue book fair, she was signing Jack and Jack and Julia, the, you know, Jacques Pepin and, and Julia, the cookbook. She was there. And I, I, I couldn't, I, 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 I literally like that.
1: Yes. And I'm going to go back to Sondheim for a moment uh, okay. because everything always goes back to Sondheim. Uh, <laughs> what is the best thing that you inherited from Stephen Sondheim as an artist?
0: Well, he said something to me one time I was a little upset with. Um, because of the way my mind works as an artist, uh, and I will tell you what it is obviously, but I will say that the lesson I took away from it is, is that you you cannot depend on anyone else. You really, really, really have to believe in yourself and get rid of as much as you can the insecurity and just forge ahead with the confidence. Confidence is a big thing that we all struggle with. I know that, me too, but you have to forge ahead. and. He gave me a note in Assassins and I and we had rehearsal and we did the show that night and we went we had rehearsal the next day and he was leaving and I said to him Steve Steve I, I just want to make sure did I did, did was that what you were talking about? Did I get that note? And he went, Yeah, yeah. And then he turned and then he turned around and go, Oh, you're talking about that? I said, yeah, listen, if I had a problem with you, I would tell you, but don't expect me to come up and, and praise you for every little thing. I'm not gonna be doing that. You <laughs> left. So you can see how I would be like, well, F you, come on, I need this. But, but I didn't need it. I didn't need it because- Terry
1: Ralston had a similar experience happen. So yeah. uh, and she talks about it on my interview with her. Go and check it out, everyone. Uh, yeah. But uh, when she was uh, doing uh, a number that he had written for her to sing, and uh, she questioned after the show, so that's great advice that you learned a great lesson there. Yeah, I sure did. Um, uh, well, this might take us to our next question. Uh, do you get upset easily, or are you usually do you usually remain calm and collected?
0: Oh, I thought you were going to ask about reviews. <laughs> no,
1: if you want to go there, you can go there.
0: I used to be. Oh, so you know how they say when you, if you believe the good ones, you have to believe the bad ones. No, you don't. You don't have to believe the bad ones. The good ones are brilliant, and the bad ones are written by idiots. There you go. <laughs> <So>. Amen. Amen. <laughs> no. Um. Um. Yeah, I'm a Scorpio. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a hot-headed. I get upset. Yes. However, I have been doing um, uh, meditation, and it has changed my life. I don't want to go all mumbo jumbo, crunchy voodoo craziness. It's okay. I, I meditate too. So, it's, but okay. um, Hugh provided us all with um, transcendental meditation classes if we wanted to take them. No pressure. And I did it, and I'm, 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 I'm so much, I'm so much better so much better because there's a point for long runs with me where you start getting panic attacks on stage for one of a better word you get crazy on the stage mm-hmm. it, it, it it's you do you do it every it's always it's over and over and over and over and, and yeah and this has helped me so much to calm the anxiety there's a lot of anxiety on broadway you know, in the world. Wonderful. There's and a lot you of anxiety in
1: Yeah. Um, what is your greatest love story in the theater? And I'm not talking about your husband. Okay. I'm talking about a role, an audience, everything coming together for the perfect alchemy.
0: You can't. you, it, it, Sweeney. I mean, it, it's just. Yeah, I, I saw Ken Jennings do it with Dorothy Loudon and um, George Hearn. And, and that was it. I knew I wanted to do it. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I wanted to do it. I read Ken Jennings' bio. It said he played the Artful Dodger. It was like, everything you've done, I want to do. And Then it turns out I got to play the Artful Dodger at Pittsburgh CLO, directed by Rob Marshall, starring mm-hmm. Donat Murphy as Nancy. And it, it, it was wonderful. And then I got Teeny Todd. And... It was you, you could say that it was the point when like everything you dreamed of, like you never had to do anything else, except for me it was it was everything I ever dreamed of and I consider it the end of the beginning part of my career and the springboard for the next section. You know what I mean Absolutely. and it was the culmination of everything that I had worked with in college, everything that I had tried, It was, it's, it's the biggest love and things have come close in the theater. Things have come close, but it won't, it won't be that.
1: Wow. And this is my last question that I'm going to ask tonight. Um, What other than your mother, uh, what one woman most affected the choices that you have made in your career? Because we celebrate the women in our lives.
0: Yeah. I have to say Susan Shulman. She she said one thing to me once that dispelled that dispelled a a a potential not maelstrom, that's a little bit too strong, a potential whirlpool of negativity that I was about to go into. And it was about my hair. And you've kept yours. Mm. Uh, but I was I was losing the hair and I was complaining about it one day. And in her shows I was always wigged, so there was no problem. But I talked to her about it and I talked to her about it. And she looked at me and she said, Honey, has it ever stopped you working? Ever? And I went, No, as a matter of fact. No. She said, Then just don't don't let that be. Anything in your life, and it, it really did. It really did springboard into a, a positive spin from then on, for so many things that could have spiraled downward. That was that was yeah. She's she. I think she gave me a. I have to say she gave me a career. Wow. Because Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd opened every door in New York for me. I mean, every door to television, film. I mean, I I got two films out of it, and and was started to be seen for television and and cartoons, which I did the voices. It it opened every door for me. So, yeah, Susan Showman. Well,
1: thank you, Stro, and uh, I'd love to have you here. So, Stro, call me. Uh, we're gonna give away uh, a Richard Skipper celebrates mug. Ah! So yes, and Eddie, you get one automatically. Thank you. I send you one. So. Howard Tucker. Oh, Howard Tucker, and I love Howard. So Howard, give me a call later tonight. Uh, you know my number. Uh, so anyway, I want to thank you all for being here. Eddie, don't go anywhere for a moment. I well. want to say a few uh, closing remarks, and then I'm going to give you the cl- uh, final word tonight. Um, what I want to say to everybody tonight is influence. We all have... Uh, the influence on what we put out into the world. Uh, today is the beginning of a new week. Uh, we are going into, I can't believe this, uh, next week, uh, we're going to be ending August and we're going into uh, a new season. Uh, tomorrow here in Rockland County, I think it is in Manhattan as well, uh, isn't an election happening tomorrow? Vote, 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 vote. Uh, make, make sure that your voices are heard. But it's not just what's going out there. Eddie did say earlier about social media, he doesn't really embrace it. Perhaps it really doesn't embrace him. But I've got a theory when it comes to social media. Uh, we're all responsible for what we put out in the world. And you can all have a major influence. If you see something that's going to elevate somebody in a positive way, hit the like button, leave a comment and share it. Because every person wants to be acknowledged. That's all that it's about. If it's not going to elevate that person or elevate the people who are going to see it, hit the delete button or hide it and stop it in its tracks. We are responsible for what we put out into the world. We all can be an influencer if we take the time to do so. Uh, I thank you all for being here tonight. I know that I can speak for Eddie when I say this. Those of us in this business, we don't take it lightly when you show up. So thank you for being here tonight. Uh, And after tonight's show, please leave a comment on YouTube. Share this with your friends. If this is your first time here, I hope it will not be your last. My goal, my mission is to celebrate artists and their body of worth. Uh, So please consider subscribing to my channel. Uh, Leave a comment on YouTube, share through uh, YouTube, And uh, just keep the positivity going. That's what my goal and mission in life. I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the ninth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. And let that person know what... They mean to you. I found out today that someone very important in the theater, someone that I love and admire, uh, is uh, being taken off of life support. Uh, out of respect for him and his family and his friends, I will not mention the name. Uh, but I want anyone who knows who I'm talking about to know that my heart goes out to him. I am gonna. I he has done so much for our community and he's given so much and um, he's going to be gone tomorrow. Uh, His doctors don't think that he's going to be around uh, much longer. Um, And, uh, and I know what's going to happen after he's gone tomorrow, there's going to be an outpouring of love of so many people going on social media and talking about how much they loved him, posting their favorite photographs of him. And I think how, great it would have been if he could have seen this last week or last month or even last year. It's important that we do this now instead of waiting until after the fact. So let that be my lesson and my closing remarks for everyone tonight. And that's not a morbid thing, that's a positive thing. Go out and show those people that you love what they mean to you. And Eddie, you mean a lot to me and I'm so thrilled that you're here tonight. So I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to give you the final word. Anything that you want to say about anything that we talked about tonight that you want to build upon. Anything that we didn't talk about that you wish that we had. Or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with tonight. uh, Don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to the world and that you're going to continue to give. And uh, thank you, Susan Stroh, because you've done it. And we're glad that you're here, Eddie. It's all yours.
0: Okay. Well, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna end with a thank you, again to everyone. And um, I also want to say that there's in between times for all of us. And in between this show, in between that show, and it is so important to have people like you, Richard, who give us a voice and keep us keep the wheels going when we do that. Uh, People like you, people like Scott and Barbara Siegel, who let us sing. Um, What I'm going to look forward to in the future when the triad comes back is doing another live show with you, Richard, and creating some more fun stuff like I did that Charlie Brown. Um, And getting to sing for Scott and Barbara and for all the people who help us like this. And thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I don't, um, people say, when are you gonna retire? Don't wanna retire when I'm having so much fun. So thanks.